0: Part of double P media, double
1: P Welcome back to bust and blockbusters. There's a lot of bees in there. Don't worry about it. We use bees a lot around here. Season one, episode four, the great wave of Lord of the Rings, rings of power on Amazon prime, which was written by, stephanie folsom uh and the showrunners jd Payne and patrick mckay and directed once again by wayne chi yip so uh second appearance for him he's also done some other things but i just can't remember off the top of my head what he's done mm-hmm. um,
0: uh, he would direct the next two episodes also he directed four
1: he directed this. four episodes of the yeah. series excellent well at least you can expect some kind of consistency in the way that they look and all of that kind of thing or at least the vision for it and i've liked mm-hmm. the vision of these uh so far by the way the that's uh priscilla there she is priscilla tv on youtube be sure to find that youtube and to subscribe to the youtube and they are in portuguese if you are an, only an english speaker but the automatic translation of the subtitles generally works pretty well or at least it has for me you always get the gist of what she's saying you definitely get the mm-hmm. passion of what she's saying priscilla welcome thanks for joining me once again
0: oh thank you for having me and i hope uh i ramble less this episode
1: <laughs> you ramble as much as you want it's pretty common <laughs> knowledge that i do nothing but ramble and nothing ever important ever comes out of my mouth and that's different mm-hmm. from you speaking of which You do your own version of a review of Lord of the Rings on your channel. Plus, you're doing Mm -hmm. appearances with other channels as well. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. Yes. Uh, I have this um, friendship with this channel, Universo 42, uh, uh, in Brazil. So, he's based in São Paulo. Uh, We never met. So, it's just like an internet friendship so far uh so and since the time of game of thrones we we used to have like live events uh every saturday so every saturday we got together live and we would talk about uh so now that he's watching rings of power and i'm watching rings of power i'm not watching house of the dragon i'm watching rings of power then we decided to do it again uh three years after the last episode that we did together so it's being fun so every saturday we meet i have wine and actually the conversation flows better with wine. maybe we should have more wine
1: here (laughs) i just have i just have a soda which doesn't do anything for my voice nor for Mm -hmm. my thoughts that's for sure or my looseness i'm pretty rigid but that's the way that i go speaking of rigid uh let's rate this episode let's be really rigid with our ratings and add doubles to them as they do here it's not
0: doubles No, no it's triples we and both have triples we're this We're all time.
1: doing triples this time. So triples yeah. on the double P. That's ex- that's exciting. Uh, how about <laughs> your rating first, Priscilla?
0: Okay. Uh, before I go my uh, do my rating, I just want to make sure that like, it's very high, the rating. Okay? Uh, this is the, um, in my opinion, best episode so far. But uh, I still have some thoughts, uh, like doubts about two plot lines so far. And I'm holding up. Because I think this story is going to have a payoff of those. Like if these two plot lines, they don't have the payoff, then uh, maybe I should uh, review and put a little bit lower. But right now, it stands to 9.5 triple B's.
1: 9.5 triple B's, did you say? Yeah. What the heck does that stand for?
0: Bring the baddies back. We want the villains. It's time for us to see the villains, no? We we have the one that is already confirmed, already showed his lovely face to us uh, and we're still in this game, who is Sauron, where is Sauron we want Sauron, everybody wants Sauron, no? But good thing about this episode is like my whole feeling about Browning's village has been quite confirmed I think, I, uh, they were giving me Rosemary Baby's vibes, you know? Mm. Uh, And I think uh, that we have people there that they are not good. They're not good people. They're not good people. And I really like that. It was good to see that there are still bad people around.
1: It's always good to see bad people around. We don't need more good people. Everybody's good. We need bad people. That's the way that Um, that goes.
0: It's also the first episode that did not end on a cliffhanger. So... I I, I added uh, another
1: half point for that. All right. Okay, I can understand that. I rated it not quite as high as yours, but pretty close. And I went triples as well. I went with 9.3 triple S's out of 10.
0: Wow, triple S's?
1: Yes. Sung Sierra solicitations. When you sing to a mountain, uh, as Disa did, uh, that's what I'm Mm -hmm. talking about. Pleading with the mountain to free the miners who were trapped. I thought that that Mm -hmm. was a beautiful presentation first of all I just I want I loved that whole ceremony uh -hmm. I love the fact that when Elrond saw the the mountain actually changing form a little bit or -hmm. or releasing some things to move some rocks around so those miners could get out I thought wow this is really cool what a power Disa has and overall I thought that the story just looked beautiful i i mean that's pretty Mm -hmm. typical for this show but um i did have a little bit of difficulty with one shot which we can talk about i guess later but yeah there was uh the the whole elron and duran thing that I love the humor in it. I love the heart of their friendship coming through once again. Uh, although mm-hmm. there's that little bit of mystery at the end with Duran mm-hmm. and what yeah. the Durans, I guess I should say. And uh, then just a really epic score at the end that come kind of combined oh, yeah. Some of Galadriel's theme with the Numenor theme. And it just it was wonderfully inspiring kind of ending the mm-hmm. i love the introduction of adar um i've been looking mm-hmm. forward to seeing Benjamin stark on screen for a little while so yeah, it, joseph it, yes he he was wonderful uh and his mm-hmm. he didn't have much unfortunately but it was still a really wonderful introduction uh i did actually i hate to say this uh, and it probably took a couple points off. I missed not following the stranger in the Harfoots, I guess while they're just mm-hmm. wandering around with carts, they're kind of boring, but uh, maybe yeah. we'll get back to them at some point in the future. I can't believe that I said that I'm such a Harfoot hater. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, you know, jokingly, but I, 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 I really, really miss them. And I did de- deduct a couple of points because I thought that there were just too many conveniences, Uh, um for theo the fact first of all the fact that theo waits until dark when more orcs can come out before he tries to escape that seemed Mm -hmm. really strange i mean maybe he thought he could hide better from them but there would be more of them out than during the daylight yeah also you know it didn't seem like when Uh, he first went into town that the orcs had any problem with the daylight Yet at the end, oh, they can't uh-huh. do that daylight. So I don't know if it was cloudy and if it was just uh, because, it, you know, whatever produced a little bit of clouds uh-huh. for them to be able to work a little better in the, in the daylight at first. But it all just seemed a little convenient mm-hmm. that the clearing happened to be right, mm-hmm. you know, right at the time when the sun was coming up. Um, maybe the magic has a plan, but in my case, uh, you know, or the island has a plan or whatever has a plan. Uh, I just felt it, it was a little bit too convenient, so that was the only really kind of the thing that I really got nitpicky about. That's not much. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah. But the thing about the sun um, and the arcs, uh, I don't know. Maybe Theo doesn't know it. He it, it doesn't sound. He doesn't seem like some observant person or a person that would pay attention to mm, yeah. what his mother would say ah you know orcs they don't they don't like the sun so i i maybe he just he missed the, the lesson maybe
1: yeah i think the bigger problem that i had was actually with the clouds themselves because we saw them appearing the clouds. naturally the orcs could be there but the shots were too bright okay during mm-hmm. the daytime and so it didn't seem like there were clouds there at all. It, it And that's one of the problems that I had was the fact that here are these orcs standing out here and it, it just seemed too, too much daylight for them to be able to withstand. Now the ending was nice and dramatic where they run out into the field and they're going to make their last stand. And then the orcs can't come out because there's a bright sun shining mm-hmm. on them. But I don't know. They, it, the the scenes where Theo was out in the open and the orcs were out and running around just seemed a little bit too bright to me. And that's mm-hmm. where I, I, you know, they should have done some color grading and darkened those down a little bit. And I would have been uh, better with it. But again, that's being very nitpicky. So, yeah.
0: yeah, but we can. We, well, we
1: can be. That's our job yeah. is to be nitpicky. Uh, but once again, as we like to say around here on the double P, who cares what we think? We care what you think. So please <laughs> tell us how you felt about this episode, season one, episode four, The Great Wave, uh, named for the basically the very beginning, at any rate, uh we want to hear from you. So tweet to at Bust Blockbuster on Twitter. Please send emails to mattsaudioblog M-A-T-T-S at gmail dot com, m a t t s audioblog at gmail dot com, or you can leave comments on the website mattsaudioblog.com. That's m a t t s audioblog dot com. You can also leave comments on the double P YouTubes. This is where you find the videos is with double P media. We want to tell you all about them, too, because if you want to go over our heads and tell the bosses to cancel us or something like that, feel free. Uh, We don't want you to. But if you feel you must, we need to inform you that you can do so by tweeting to at the word double the letters P H Q that stands for podcast headquarters, double podcast Headquarters. You can also find them on Facebook, facebook facebook.com slash the word double, the letters PHQ. You can find them that same way on uh, Instagram as well, double the letters PHQ. And if you want to visit their website, that's where their handles change a little bit. They actually go to double P Media. So that's the word double, the letter P, the word media.com. That's also how you find the YouTube, youtube youtube.com slash C slash the word double the letter p the word media please subscribe today bubba has gotten lots of hits on some of his podcasts not so many hits on some other ones and we need him to have some consistency because he needs some consistent money coming into his pocket you know that two or three cents can really go a long way towards paying that eight thousand dollar a month mortgage that he has for the mansion that he owns thinking that he was going to get rich on youtube so
0: oh my god okay yeah yeah please help Uh, him
1: help him help him by
0: subscribing help Help him yeah yeah
1: Yeah. don't help us help him you can help us by subscribing (laughs) to the podcast by sharing it with your friends please if you have friends that are into the lord of the rings and you like the way that we're covering the show please share it with your friends and let them know that we're out here either in the podcast audio form or on youtube we'd really love it if you would do so Mm -hmm. Are you ready for me to do my little spiel on the music, Priscilla? Yes. All right. We are finally getting around to something that I've been promising uh, for the last two weeks. Uh, we are finally getting around to talking about the dwarf theme. And we'll be back with episode recaps right after that. If you don't like talking about music, skip ahead about 11 minutes. You'll be good. Today we're talking all about the dwarf theme. I love this theme. I loved its introduction in the first episode, but I haven't had a chance to talk about it until now. And since it did appear in this particular episode, it seems appropriate to talk about it now. We're going to do a full breakdown of the main section of the theme, not the bridge. The bridge is different, though it does appear in this episode. It it appears at a very interesting place. Uh, It is showing up as the father and the son uh, are face to face and King Doran says, forever I am with you. It's a really beautiful bridge and I do hope to break it down uh, sometime in the future uh, because it comes back around to the main melody and the way that it does so is really wonderful with this hanging five chord that feels inevitable to go back to the one and I totally love it. I'm rambling here. Let's move on to talking about this. Oh, wait, except I do want to also compliment Bear McCreary for an amazing musical job tying the goodbye to Galadriel with the leaves and everything at Numenor. And so you have the Galadriel theme, a wonderful version of it. Morphing into a wonderful version of the new menor theme, we've talked about both of those before, so there's no need to break that down. but just the way that those were used, there were some different chords placed under Galadriel's melody. there were uh some wonderful, powerful projections of the new menorah theme as everybody's you know raising their hand and volunteering to serve so I loved all of that, okay to the part that you actually wanted me to talk about, or the part that I actually wanted to talk about, and that is the dwarf theme. Something that Bear is doing, uh, which is not unlike Lauren Balfe, who is another composer that I have covered for his Dark Materials and The Crown, is he likes to give his themes a duplicity, meaning that he has a motive that works in support of the melody, That can also be used independently, or he can just use the melody itself independently and put different harmonies underneath it or with it to give emotional context. All good composers do this, actually. It's not just Lauren Balfe and Bear McCreary. Uh, But if you have a duplicity, then you have a whole way that you can reference character or place or whatever and use other methods to give it emotional context. And that's really interesting what happens with this particular episode as well. Before we talk about how it's applied in this episode, though, let's talk about how it works. And as I said, there's a motive that supports the melody, and then there's the melody itself. This is what I call the motive, the supporting motive, it's a very low, it's very staccato, and it in the main presentation, which you can find on the season one official soundtrack, you can find that on Spotify or anywhere uh the track is called "Casa Doom." I believe it's the third track. you can really hear it being projected, this motif with very short jabs of strings, these very short dun 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 well, what's the point of me? trying to sing it to you when it can just be played on the piano. This is what I'm talking about. So that motif is overall part of the theme. You know, it combined creates the main theme, but it can also be used separately. And it was used separately in this particular episode as well if you go to the uh, around 5735 in the episode, as Durin and his father are talking about Linden, uh, you can hear the motive being played, but there's no other part of the melody being played. The chords are different, and so while it represents the dwarves and khazad and Durin and Durin themselves, Uh, this way different chords can be applied to it to add emotional context. Now, the interesting thing about this particular motive is the way that it works with the melody as well. And when you hear it, because there are a lot of things that are long and short in terms of the notes, the notes don't quite fill the spaces to the next note sometimes, we call that staccato. And staccato Uh, represents generally a kind of general roughness or an aloofness or literally a separation. And the dwarf culture is naturally separate. And so when you heard all those spaces between the notes of the motive, you know, it doesn't fill all the way to the next note being played. That's what I'm talking about in terms of staccato. And that's what that typically represents musically is a separation. Uh, Not only are the notes separated, but it gives you the impression of separation, And that's what this dwarf culture is doing separately from the elves, separately from everybody else in Middle Earth. So I love that. Uh, and the way the melody goes on top of it, it is notes that hold on a little longer, but in some places they're shorter as well. So working together, they sound like this. that's the first phrase of the melody. Uh, A lot of songs are written in what we call A-A-B-A form, which means that you have an A section, like I just played you, and then most of that section is repeated, but sometimes the ending is changed a little bit. It's like if you were ever in music class or whatever, you would see a, a song go through and you'd have your notes to play and then you would see a repeat sign and it would take you back to where you're playing that part of the melody again, but it has a first ending on the top of it. And then you, the next time that the music goes by, you have to skip over that first ending part to go to the second ending part. They're essentially the same section. They just have different endings. And that's what happens in an A-A-B-A form. So the second A resolves where the first one kind of left it hanging, so you would have to go back and repeat The second one resolves to give you a clear definition of the end of the A section like this. So those are the main sections. The B section is the bridge part that I discussed earlier. We're not going to cover that here today, even though once again, I will say 57, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, 5648 around there when uh, King Duran says to Prince Duran, "Forever I am with you," and they are face to face." That's where that bridge begins. So that would be the B section. And then you usually have another A section, which is typically the same as the second phrase of the A, like I just played you on the piano. Now, in this particular episode, again, Barry uses these kind of things independently. For instance, around a little before the 32-minute mark, Durin asks Elrond to swear to the mountain. You hear just the melody of the A section being played there. There's no real rhythm to it. I mean, the melody is played in its rhythm, but you don't have the motive accompanying it. And, uh, that's when Durin puts his hand on the rock and says, swear to the mountain that you'll never tell anybody about this. That is the part where he, uh, Elrond then takes the oath. But it, the important part is, is that you hear the melody there. Now, We do hear the melody again later on in the episode, but we also hear the motive independent of the episode. Just like I said, around 5735 as the Durans are discussing snooping around Linden. uh, You hear just the motive by itself and all different kinds of chord colors or all different kinds of harmonies being applied over the top of it, which creates a sense of, you know, kind of uh, not really mystery Not even really mischievousness, but it's still something that indicates that, you know, the dwarves are suspicious. And the staccato of that motive actually makes it, uh, it helps you to understand that the dwarves are still thinking independently of all these other things that are going on. Now, one thing that is interesting is that the melody is then added to that at about the 5802 mark. Somewhere in there, the melody creeps in and works with the motive, and you get the full dwarf theme, not presented in a grand way or anything, but just enough so that you know that this is the full Caza Doom theme. And I think that that's all I have for this particular episode. I do want to say this. The timbres are very important also. Uh, one of the things that I find really interesting is the association that we have Of mining and being underground as being associated with a male voice. And part of that's because over time, somebody came up with this idea a long time ago and it's just carried through. And so now our brains are kind of conditioned as we see films, as we see whatever to think of it that way. But here the timbre is really of the, of the voices is really deep and guttural and, uh, almost kind of reminds me of that. Tibetan monk thing, even though it's not like low droning, it's still used in that kind of timbre of voice, that kind of projection of the voice, and uh that really evokes that sense of this culture, that this culture that lives underground, that is predominantly. I don't, I, I don't want to say. Obviously, we see Disa being very wonderful in this episode, so I, I don't want to say that it's male dominated, but it seems to be male oriented. Uh, As goes with the stories of even the dwarf women have beards that Gimli told us and everything and and things that we're seeing in these episodes as well. So uh, that's why that male voice is so important. I wish that I spoke dwarf so that I could tell you uh, what those lyrics mean. Uh, But most of the pronunciations I can't even get. I'm sure that if you scour the Internet, you can find that on your own. You don't need my help to find out what those lyrics that are being sung mean. So please feel free to do that for yourself. Now, that's all I have. And we're going to go back to discuss in this episode. Our recap is next. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start off with Numenor, which had uh, an epic beginning and an epic ending. And uh, first of all, we see that Muriel is having this dream that that basically starts off with the Whitney Houston song. I believe in the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. And then it ends with a huge tidal wave. Uh, So uh, that's kind of the extremes of happiness and uh, sadness all at the beginning uh i thought that it was pretty epic looking the way that the the town was getting destroyed by the wave and everything like that so that uh was a surprise that we would see uh that people are having visions of this long before it happens um did you like the dream did you what did you think of it
0: yes i like the dream um i like i like that it you had the impression that she was dreaming, no? Mm-hmm. But you you didn't know that she was dreaming, but once the, the wave came, uh you understood exactly what was happening. So I like that. Um uh I cannot say much because I haven't watched many of those like movies, this like you know, um disaster movies. Right. But it right. looked it looked nice. The disaster itself looked nice. Yeah. Uh, there is a big wave coming and in the way it destroys the the palace. It yeah I I would be scared. I'm I'm not sure if she was scared that much. Maybe this is a kind of a dream, dream that she already had it. That was my thought because she didn't look very
1: Disturbed she by, distra- it. yeah, right. She, right.
0: she looked distraught, but not very scared. So yeah. I think it's a dream that she uh, already
1: had. Yeah, I, I was under the impression that she was inferring to Galadriel when she gave, let her see the Palantir. Uh, mm-hmm. I was under the impression that she was telling uh, Galadriel that this is basically the kind of vision that she had when she first yeah. touched it a long time ago. So now the dreams mm-hmm. are just reiterating what she saw in that first Palantir mm-hmm. vision so yeah, I agree and that's with
0: exactly you. how dreams work now you see something and you, it, it stays in your subconscious, and then you dream sometimes about it yeah
1: i would hope so or maybe sometimes in my cases i would hope not uh at any rate uh halbrand's victim uh who he beat up not the one that mm-hmm. he he did the uh the double r the radicalized radius radius to but uh the the other the other one that he punched out uh, he's raising some cane in the square about the, the elf being there and the queen and uh-huh. uh isildur's sister aarian is the one who sees this uh-huh. meanwhile uh the chancellor is teaching his son uh Kemen how to shake hands in the market uh but he become he ended up coming in and calms the crowd actually gets them riled up behind the the cause of the Numenorians and how men are great and all of this stuff uh but he also helps his cause by buying a round of drinks for everybody uh and, and you know shaking hands and kissing babies mm-hmm. he's not politically ambitious at all uh but yeah. gives it's a chance to make a move on ar in um but evidently mm-hmm. she has plans and no, I mean, literally, uh, evidently, she has to do actual pr- plans mm-hmm. as an apprentice. So I want to ask you, Priscilla, what did you think of this chancellor? I, I'm going to say his name wrong again. So you'll have I to correct know. me. Ferrazon? F- 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 Ferrazon, yeah. Okay. Uh, well,
0: his is Liz Ball, right?
1: Yeah. It's yeah he's a political. Pretty
0: ball. Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty sleazy. It's pretty obvious that he is the leader of this faction against the the I guess an alliance with the elves and um it's like it goes parallel with Canon no, it's not exactly like in Canon because obviously we don't have all the details, so they're filling in a lot of what is happening and by the end of the episode, you kind of have an idea where he his plans that he's capable of adapting no he right. has a plan he's, he has, that's obviously what I was going he he,
1: he's switching sides all the time, just whatever wherever the public's willing to go, it seems like he's that's where he wants to be because he clearly wants power for himself
0: yeah no i mean. I, f- I think his plan is pretty more straightforward but he's capable of adapting no? like in the in the end of the episode like muriel uh throws him uh, like a curveball as you say mm-hmm. and he adapts pretty well no and uh, he doesn't create problems but you know and this is something that i'm uh i keep thinking about the series is that People there, like, they are left and right. They are making these decisions based on their, like, rationality. Not some decisions are very good now with the information they have. They managed to do, to make these decisions uh, very well. But it doesn't matter because the end is going to be one and one and only. And in this case, Muriel made a decision, was a good decision, but, uh, parazon has plans and he's not going to stop it it's obviously
1: yeah i yeah. i think the true tell will be if if this chancellor ends up on middle earth with the rest of them then i'll believe that he's really behind this cause but until then i am only believing that he's doing this hoping that she said that she's going to go to middle earth with galadriel so he's hoping that he gets to remain behind and act as the king or act as the ruler that's what I'm thinking that he's thinking.
0: I think it's his end game. Is with uh, media or without Miriel, he will uh, have the power. Yeah. He kind of has has the power already behind the scenes. But mm. without Miriel there, um, who is to say that he cannot have uh, the power officially know?
1: in the cause co- after all of this um galadriel is actually getting a chance and this is what this big stir is about galadriel's getting a chance to make her case uh for her cause mm-hmm. to go to middle earth and and to fight sauron find fight sauron fight sauron
2: all, mm-hmm. all this stuff
1: she's making this case to the queen uh during the course of that conversation uh we find out that elindel is a runic I believe is what they call it, uh, which basically is a uh, petty lord, uh, a runic mm-hmm. petty lord, or he's from the runic land and he's a petty lord of that land or whatever. So mm-hmm. uh, that was interesting that he has a little bit of nobility in him in some way, even mm-hmm. if it is petty. Galadriel's cause or uh, for, you know, doing this reforging of an alliance is summarily dismissed. Uh, mm-hmm. uh she is dismissed dismissively which is
2: mm-hmm. the
1: uh, double d and then galadriel throws a, a, a fit uh mm-hmm. which is, gets up gets her own cell she ends up in a cell right next to halbrands mm-hmm. who gets to laugh at her and say told you so and then uh we go to the boats uh i guess that boat sets in cgi water extensions whether you have a volume or not um they're just hard to do mhm um, but I don't think that they're nearly as hard as it is for Isildur to be able to ignore the whispers that are coming from the Western shore because it gets him into trouble again. Uh, It's another double S a ship shenanigan uh, Mm -hmm. and it gets Isildur shunned from the sea guard. So there's a whole bunch of S's in there. I think five of them, uh, if you want to do the counting Uh, as well as two of his friends who get uh, charged with the same problem, all because he was busy listening to wh- seductive whispers instead of figuring out which how to pull the rope and, and not getting distracted. This time, the mm-hmm. ship shenanigan is his fault, and his friend, Valandir, Valandil, uh, mm-hmm. has uh, basically excommunicadoed him over it. Mm-hmm. He's done with him. Uh, and later, his sister uh, runs across Kim and again, uh, and, I mean, she literally runs across him. She kind of runs over him nearly. Uh, but he doesn't seem to care that he's soaked because he's just wanting to be flirty. And uh what do you think of that? Why why are we getting this relationship? Why is it important? Is the Chancellor manipulating his son to manipulate her to manipulate uh-huh. Lindell? Is is that what you think's going on?
0: Well, I'm not sure. Like uh, uh, the chancellor, he seems to be very good at knowing people. Like his son says that he uh, he knows all their names. He shakes all the hands. So it's possible that he knows already that um, she's is uh, uh, daughter, and Elenjo is getting some sort of state status with the queen now. He's getting like some sort of relationship over it. So. But what I think it's going on, it's basically like there is going to be a frac, uh, like, a fr- uh, 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 like the family will be apart, will go grow apart, politically speaking. Now because okay. um, this guy Cameron is uh, in the faction of the anti-outs, and LNG is one of the faithful. Uh, okay. We see that Isildo is one of the faithful too. He wants to be, and therefore Brother Anarion is also one of the faithful, uh, so it's possible that they are setting up just this like family breaking apart over politics, and in this case also the relationship, which uh, I'm not sure if it's really completely organic from the part of Ken, but he seems uh, pretty insistent in being okay. with Arian. So,
1: yeah, excellent. Well uh as we go back to the rock uh as we go back to the numenorian penitentiary halbrand is offering advice uh uh-huh. while galadriel is just trying to run into walls by pacing back and forth and uh you know his advice is kind of interesting he says find what your opponent fears and give them the means to master it so that you can master them uh mm-hmm. to me this <laughs> and and i'm sorry we all know the lore of the rings and and what have you here hopefully if you don't know the lore of the rings sauron creates these rings for elves and dwarves and men uh and he does so um so that he can use the one ring that he forges for himself to control them all and when i read these words it seemed awfully strangely similar to what the whole purpose of the rings are yes, uh, yeah. you give the opponents the rings uh, because they they fear you know and uh which gives them the means to master it, making them think that they 're masters of their own destiny with these rings yes. again, so that then you can master them, which sounds an awful lot like what Sauron was doing in terms of mm-hmm. his whole sham with the rings i yeah. i don 't know if there 's anything to actually make of that, but I just wanted to bring that up. Did you get any of that kind of feeling from Hal brand is all, or did you just It's it 's actually really good advice? for Galadriel yeah. but I mean did you read anything into it other than that
0: well the thing is like people are like oh Galadriel is like 5,000 years old she should know these things already but I mean if you read the Silmarillion*, you know that elves they do things that they should not be doing Oh the time uh-huh. no? all the time so uh, you would think and it's one of the points the it's made over and over and over that the men they have like um smaller lifespans and they accomplish a lot in this smaller life spans they they cannot they don't have the, lu- the luxury not to learn from their mistakes and that elves because they they live so long they they get really stuck sometimes so um, I don't think the Galadriel's character, 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 characterization so far is that off the mark for what she would do or she would be in this context of like nobody is believing her because a point that uh, like the critics of her character like um, are making, um, they they ignore is that basically she's right, Sauron is back. She's the only one who has been right the whole time. So when she comes uh, to the cell and Halbrand is there, and Halbrand obviously knows exactly what happened because Galadriel, once again, she had an opportunity and she's pondered because she, she spoke out of turn, she spoke too much or whatever, got frustrated and uh, lashed out. Uh, when he Gives his advice, like, like uh, knowing how the story will progress, uh, I can only think two options. You no, know? one the, the the great option, he is Sauron disguised. Okay. You no, know? this is like something that Sauron would uh, advise someone. Okay. The second is like That's more like- ironic, and I think it, it is what it is. Is that Halbrand is a man who has lived uh, and who has. Um, made a lot of mistakes and he has learned and he has this blood like uh, of the kings no? of the Southlands with this connection to the dark side so he knows the ways of manipulation he knows everything that is that is to know and his advice is like for her to find some sort of weaknesses, uh, weakness and instead of uh, exploiting this weakness directly to actually help this person to overcome this weakness and gain trust. and not. So it would be ironic if he knows that this is possible to do this kind of manipulations. But then when it comes to the time that he actually is a king and Sauron is there and Sauron does the manipulation with him, he doesn't see it. So.
2: Right. Yeah, you know, that would be interesting. So,
0: yeah, so he was like, Okay, uh, I have uh, an agreement with Sauron, and he doesn't see the agreement for what it is Sauron manipulating him. So, I can read both ways. I would prefer the second, like, I would prefer if if he's not Sauron, but uh, he's screaming Sauron at this point.
2: You no,
1: know? hmm. I, I wonder if this opens up the possibility that uh, Halbrand doesn't really figure into the history of any of this at all. Uh, in the long run that he was Mm -hmm. you know part of a line of kings but he he, you know he doesn't become one of the nine ring bearers he doesn't become uh, anybody that's historically important except for you know he'll be like a hero or something like that but maybe not necessarily um, that important historically uh, just put it that way uh, or uh-huh. they'll sing his praises, or whatever. I don't know. Uh, I'm just, I'm just taking stabs at the in the dark here. But uh, at any rate, uh, Galadriel. First of all, she figures out that the one thing that Muriel does not want is for Galadriel to talk to her dad, uh, who is uh-huh. still alive and in the tower. Um, then she kind of takes Halbrand's advice and gives those elves a chance to cover up and takes them over and escapes, uh, which is great. I love that little sequence. Uh, how much of a sucker! Uh, those Numenorian guards were. Mm-hmm. Um and uh that that was fun. They end up in their own cell. Um now outside Arin has has gone on the date uh but uh then she finds a Sildor uh who is a double eye he's isolate uh, isolated a Sildor and uh he uh, she asks him some questions like you know where's your uniform? Aren't you in the boat? what's going on here so asylidor has to tell her that he's been kicked out uh and that he feels guilty for getting his friends kicked out um Mm -hmm. and at the same time that this is happening evidently the guards are coming through looking for galadriel looking for galadriel she's on the run she's on the loose you know and everybody looks except for the one place where she would probably be pretty obvious which is climbing up the wall of a very large tower Mm -hmm. uh, so that she can get inside uh to see uh, dad muriel's dad because you know why do you why do you want to use stairs where you have to go through other guards and all that kind of stuff when you could just climb up the outside of the wall come in and when she gets there she thinks she's going to get a chance to talk to him but she finds out that uh, he is a failing father that's a double f and that muriel is there with him attending to him
0: mm-hmm. now
1: evidently according to the credits this guy's name is tar palantir's name Mm -hmm. or his name is tower palantir uh but the thing that is interesting is that we know the palantiri as these seeing stones so is the name connected for any reason because I'm, i'm not aware of this kind of lore or did the showrunners just kind of make it connected no it's uh
0: it's canon uh he like the kings of Númenor, they take like um, some names that should mean oh, something. Oh, okay. And um, for some time, they would uh, take the names in Kenya, which was the language in Valinor, of the Valor and of the, the Kendi, of the elves. Uh, once they started turning away from the Valor and the elves, they started using their own language uh, to name themselves. Palantir, the um, Miriam's father, he breaks with this tradition. He tries to go back to the old ways, as she said. And he names, like he takes a name in Kenya. And this name is uh, supposedly it's to indicate that he has foresight, basically. Scylla knows more than you do.
1: Okay. So Galadriel ends up... Uh, getting a kind of an explanation from muriel as to why she's being rejected and all of this stuff and they end up at one of the uh the seeing stones the palantiri mm-hmm. we're told that the other six are currently lost um so or
0: hidden or, or hidden
1: or hidden okay uh, she doesn't
0: know where they are yeah so
1: we know that one of these stones actually ends up in gondor is mm-hmm. this More. the stone is this the seeing stone that ends up in gondor do you think uh,
0: i i would say if they are going because they they uh, they went into the trouble of mentioning there are seven of those mm-hmm. explaining what they are um a little bit uh and even if you notice uh Miguel says that her father came into possession when he was crowned so meaning they didn't have that one before, so it was something that uh, it came, uh, to have father, right? Okay. So I think they're going to follow canon, so they are going to bring to Middle Earth some stones. Okay. Was the new the Numenoreans Nú- that like lead the leave the the island? No, mm-hmm. they take the they take a lot of of the treasures of Númenor with them. They take Narzil, which I think we saw Narzil this episode. Okay. Uh, and they take Palantir also. Right. And then, like, they they get scattered in Middle earth too.
1: Okay. All right. Well, she shows Galadriel this uh, Palantiri and uh, tells her to, you know, touch it, take a look at what you got. And she basically has her own vision of the same dream that Muriel did. It's just that it's her mm-hmm. in, in the vision instead of Muriel. Uh, and Galadriel ex- or pardon me, Muriel explains to Galadriel that she saw Galadriel in her vision, which we did not see as part of that dream. But evidently mm-hmm. the first time that she ever saw it, um, Galadriel was part of it. And so that is uh, why Muriel fears this elf so much. Yes. Now the thing that I don't understand about this, I keep coming back to the Palantiri here, and I keep asking you questions, and I'm sorry to pester you with these, is that the way I understood it in, and again, this is in Peter Jackson's movies, mm-hmm. so they don't have to be a direct interpretation of canon. Although I feel like that they they tried to do as well as they could uh, for some of it. In those terms, when the Palantiries are used um it seems to be more almost like a communication in the present like Mm -hmm. when when uh is it mary no is it mary or pippin that holds one of the stones it's when sauron sees him right Mm -hmm. or how gondor's uh in gondor uh boromir's father says that uh you know he he has been able to see what's been going on uh because of the seeing Stone. So that seems very present but here it seems like we have a prophecy or a vision of the future is is that normal for these palantiri or do they just show you whatever they want in the moment or uh is this abnormal for a palantiri to show somebody a vision of future
0: well the first um the first use is for communication there was like a, a palantir in the western part of Numenor that they could see until uh To Toir-Zea, which is the first island uh in Valinor, they could do that. That's the first part. But uh in-, in the books, like um it said like not only the trilogy but um also like canonically that you can see through space and time. Okay uh but like there is no really way to say if it's time would be like the past you can revisit a moment uh or if it's the future Mm -hmm. and if i if i remember correctly like with uh with Denethor Boromir's father um i think Sauron keeps sending him uh kind of visions of like the troops uh, in Mordor already which Okay. it didn't happen before. So you if you see something like without the context now you can reach some like uh, conclusions that might lead you astray. Right. So that's what Caladriel says. I know that the stones that they they not always show you what would happen. They show okay. you something, you know. So right. But medium said no, this is going to happen. This is already happening because you're here.
1: Yes, right. Well, I I mean Muriel does have the advantage of a little bit of extra context in the fact that a giant wave yeah. is coming. <laughs> the great wave is itself uh, seems to be coming. And she knows that uh, that hasn't happened yet, although it could yeah. be metaphoric. It could just be metaphor for evil. Right. And I think that's the way Galadriel's kind of interpreting it.
0: No, I don't think anybody's interpreting as a metaphor. And I have to say, I give kudos to Muriel for sticking around. To finding out find out what will happen because if i had a vision of a wave coming to me uh i don't know i wouldn't i wouldn't be be there sorry
1: oh ah, okay Bye. well i i would run too but I, I or i would take my hand off the palantir imme- immediately but
0: yeah she's a better person than us yeah.
1: <laughs> she's brave she's brave uh nonetheless muriel is stubborn and she says nope galadriel you gotta go no, um, come on,
0: she's not stubborn she, she no she knows she doesn't have the political power to back Galadriel. let's be
1: honest here okay well she she knows she's in trouble politically, but she's but yeah, that's where the way she's always been stubborn. the way I've read this uh <laughs> is the fact that you know, no matter how much she might want to or not want to help the elves, um she just really knows that she can't um however, mm-hmm. when they start to send Galadriel away, uh the great tree uh the white tree of numenor great tree of numenor starts shedding leaves like a texas live oak in may which means that everything just comes off all at once it seems like almost and uh, this disturbs muriel to the point and i don't i don't know how uh i guess it's the position of the palace or whatever but it just seems like there's leaves everywhere way more leaves than that tree could possibly have it must be growing leaves as fast as it's shedding them because i mean that's just too many leaves going all over the place mm-hmm. so that that was another thing that it was just a little bit picky for me uh but because muriel sees this uh she pledges herself and new and numenor to galadriel's cause they bring her back into the fold uh mm-hmm. everybody's asking for service elendil's uh back and asking for people to volunteer and of course his son raises his hand and says i will just like his friend's volunteer everybody's raising hands a whole bunch of extras raising their hands and mm-hmm. everyone else is watching Halbrand uh has been freed by the way he's just kind of walking around I don't know if that means whether he's gonna volunteer or not himself uh but he's just kind of walking around as all of this mm-hmm. happens and uh uh you know everybody everybody's watching as these people volunteer including Galadriel uh mm-hmm. and that kind of concludes that Numenor storyline any other thoughts about this whole storyline? Are there any points that you want to bring up before we move on uh, to dwarves and, and elves?
0: Well, like um, Miriam, she says about the prophecy, uh, I think in episode three, that um, if the, the tree started shedding, like the, the leaves that um, uh, like the faithful believe that something bad would happen now and this is like backed by the canon which is like the her father had a prophecy w- about the tree also uh, that the line of the kings of Numenor would end once the, the tree starts shedding the the leaves so this connects to the the canon okay. and my interpretation was like when she sends Galadriel away she thinks she's like sending the cause of the, the Valor's displeasure uh, she has like uh, an idea that the Valor um, gave uh, she has this notion which is uh, of course correct that the Valar gave them the Numenorians that island as a gift uh, in, rec- in recognition to their services in fighting Morgoth in the first age no? there was no Numenorians there but their ancestors of course And that the Vala could very well take this gift back because Lumenor is is, giving their backs uh, to the Vala. So she has this connection and she sees uh, Galadriel's arrival as the first sign that this is happening. So when Galadriel is is leaving and the the tree starts uh, shedding the, the leaves, she thinks, I think the she concludes, and that's why she changed her mind, That is the other way around. It's like her sending Galadriel away is what si- signals to the Valor that Numenor is uh not honoring the alliance. So that's why she brings Galadriel back, and we don't see uh behind the you know behind the curtain. But Farazon obviously he has his plans, uh, and since Mirio is the one who is uh, like using the, the the very small political capital that she has to back up this, and she the way she frames it is exactly like, okay, we got this island from the uh, for the valid because we fought the war, but the the enemy might not be vanquished. We need to end this and I need to see if this is true so I am myself going and she doesn't even take uh um soldiers she asks for volunteers so it's uh you have this sense that this is an extra thing that she's saying okay I'm just going to see what's going on there we are going to fight uh it's not going to you know it's it, it it's an alliance for now basically right uh but that may be, and this goes to back to my impression that's like she's like uh, the decision is right is correct she's trying to minimize the political impact of this decision by by framing as a volunteer expedition of sorts um and reminding them of their alliance with the Vala. but she's opening her, her, uh, her flanks to farazon's increasing uh influence. In Numenor. So mm-hmm. she might not have a kingdom to come back. So she might, she's trying, she's trying her best to avoid this wave for coming. Mm-hmm. And the thing that she now figures, okay, I have to be aligned with this elf. I have to see what is going on, really, that might avert this disaster. But it might be the thing that actually brings this disaster because Parazon is going to stay there unchecked.
1: I agree with you there completely. All right. Well, there are other elves in this story. One of them, particularly Elrond, uh, who is uh, hanging out with Celebrimbor. Wow, those dwarves work fast. They've already started. They've got that forge half built. Um, but Celebrim- they haven't
0: to spring. They haven't to spring. It has to yeah, be
1: fast. Yeah, they've got this deadline that nobody knows about or nobody understands. Uh, but the, the dwarves are doing the deal they they've been working hard it's half built it's already huge it's going to be mm-hmm. the biggest forge i've ever seen in my entire life um for sure you going to
0: see the forge <laughs> yeah
1: i i mean I, you know I, I, this certainly beats anything you see on the history channel that they used to make swords or whatever uh so this is this is a huge forge that's being built but keller is kind of melancholy it's kind of weird he's kind of feeling a little disturbed him and Elrond uh talk about Elrond's dad and how Elrond's dad said that uh had told Celebrimbor one time that they would be uh that they're like that Elrond would help him out in some way in the future and uh it it was kind of vague kind of disappointing uh but it it definitely makes Elrond think of his father and that kind of carries throughout the whole episode uh Mm -hmm. but then Celebrimbor brings up that he thinks that Prince Durin's up to something Uh, which you know i'm not quite sure what how he came to that it just feels a little suspicious of elves i guess uh hence the the there's still some tensions between elves and dwarves uh but elrond uh is going to have to go and investigate he has a delightful interview with princess Diza, but he starts accusing her of you know it's like Mm. wait a minute if he went to this place why didn't he take this and and uh she kind of settles his his uh i guess his doubts uh with what i like to call dwarf news which is a lot like Mm. fake news uh it's presented as fact but it may not actually be fact uh so she tells him about stews and everything which nobody can verify so therefore you know he, he just has to he just has to accept her word but he does follow her as she reports uh to her husband uh about Elron sniffing around because El, you know Durin is allegedly not be found findable. Uh and yet mm-hmm. here Disa is telling her husband about Elrond and he <laughs> sees it. I don't know if he's reading lips or if he's reading minds or what he what he's doing there. Uh but I thought
0: he, he was listening, but uh, uh apparently oh, well you know li- big ears, that's a possibility I, I also. Fi- I, apparently he was reading lips, but I don't think because of the the beard, how could he li- read it you know so i thought oh. oh my god he's using his superpower like ears superpowered ears
1: maybe okay. right, i a, don't know that's a possibility Subject
0: to interpretation
1: at, at, at any rate he can figure it out what it is that Duran is up to something and then he's up to something in the old mine below mirror mirror which mm-hmm. that's uh, uh evidently uh, a mirror mirror is a vein or or something anyway he
0: goes the lake, to an, i think
1: it's a huh
0: i think it's a lake
1: uh oh a lake okay now wait a minute would that be the lake that gandalf and the balrog fall into in peter jackson's two oh, towers Oh my god, i have no idea
0: should we google that i
1: don't know yeah i i have no idea either i was just wondering uh how many lakes down there are, are there i mean you would suspect there would no, be I, a lot I of water underground I, I...
0: I think it is because that's where they established the the kingdom, the first Durin, because okay. of this lake. So maybe it is.
1: Yeah. So uh, he goes uh, to investigate uh, wherever it is that Durin is going, and he finds the secret door to activate it using a a, a dwarf lyric, a pounding and and something about gold and all this stuff. It was wonderful, uh, and I love the way that the rock gave way and opened up, and uh, all the dwarves. All dwarf doors are cool in in my in my eyes. Dwarf doors are cool. Uh once he gets into that room, he actually finds a vein of mithril. I don't think he understands what it is, but he sees it. And then all of a sudden Durin uh comes in uh accusing him of of trying to steal what it is that they're mining. Elrond doesn't seem to know what it is and after durin uh makes him swear to the mountain not to share any of the information that he tells him he then tells elron about how about this newly discovered ore. um their friendship is rekindled uh just in time uh for part of the mine to collapse i love how they came up with the name mithril or uh the i believe durin called it something else he called it some kind of stone or something like that but translated to elvish then uh he kind of mistranslated it and then uh Elrond comes up with the proper translation which is mithril and uh then the mine starts to collapse and Elrond tries to keep duran from going in there but Doran is all about his his you know his men he wants to protect them so he goes in to try and save them um evidently some dwarves are trapped i think all of them got out alive in the end actually i had written kill their trap before i say the the conclusion of the scene but because disa performs this song Mm -hmm. uh, or this ceremony to plead with the mountain uh to release the trapped um and elrond gets to see that and because he had gone after durin uh disa then apologizes to elrond for lying uh, because he probably in finding Durin, had saved Durin's life because otherwise Durin might have been trapped too uh and it turns out that Durin returned saying that they got all of the trapped out alive so that was fantastic but uh he also is really mad because his father the king has now shut down the operation entirely and in order to calm duran down Uh, You know, Duran basically says he never wants to speak to his father again. And Elrond tells him, you know, that holding these kind of grudges will only create regret once someone is gone. And he relates a story with his own father about how he wishes that uh, he could have just one more conversation. It wouldn't matter whether his father criticized him or praised him uh, just to have that one last conversation, which hit me a little bit just because uh, I've, I've had that conversation in my own head about my dad um mm-hmm. that scene ends uh with a little bit of humor as uh as duran uh, has evidently uh misrepresented the truth in regards to how duran mm-hmm. and elron met each other uh saying that uh he had uh, fended off two hill trolls trolls for Elrond, but Elrond uh reports with the fact that it was actually him who saved Durin from three uh so they're always one up in each other with their stories uh, and i still don't know which one to believe i tend to believe elrond over duran uh but that's just me uh maybe Durin's actually telling the truth uh duran then uh ends up going to his dad uh and he apologizes for the mining and everything but really dad's not all of that angry you know they have a good father-son moment themselves
2: mm-hmm. and
1: the uh uh duran uh you know is is very appreciative of that but it's just a few moments later where they're having a conversation about how duran has been invited to go with elrond to see uh linden and uh, evidently the king is not is still pretty suspicious of what the elves are up to and therefore uh he wants duran to go and spy on what's Mm -hmm. going on at linden i almost kind of believe that the king is sending durin to spy on the wrong place i mean i know that mm. the high king is at, is it linden or whatever um but the way that kelebrembor doesn't seem to trust the dwarves and the dwarves don't seem to trust the elves maybe they should be looking at Eregion instead
0: oh but kelebrembor is going with them right it's really
1: no the... yeah okay they're
0: going to discuss this like project um and um, I I really like when they interpret canon without, like, they change in a way that they still remain somewhat uh, not faithful but truthful. So the thing with the durings, that uh, they are supposed to be reincarnations of the first during. So they're not supposed to exist in the same timeline, like two durings no. So the way they kind of did if I understood correctly is about being crowned. So the way the father explains is that once his son will be crowned like all the knowledge uh of both the mistakes and uh the successes of the previous doings will pass down to the one crowned. So that means like uh, you're going to have like memories downloaded into you instead of like uh, so instead of being like each during is a reincarnation, basically, you acquire each during's knowledge through this crowning, this coronation ceremony. Mm-hmm. So, that's an inter- interpretation of how the durings would be uh, reincarnations. No, yeah. uh, I, I, I. I mean, I know there are a lot of nitpicking about uh, Canon, but you can use Canon to, you know, not reinvent it, but to do something different.
2: Yeah. And Let's I think that play. lots of
0: thi- yeah, a lot of things, they are going parallel. Uh, they are going to arrive at the same destination, but explaining and fitting the blanks, like Tar Mediel, like Mediel, she's queen regent. She never gets to be queen in the canon. Okay.
2: So
0: then they made her queen regent. So she's just sitting in for her father. She's not queen of her in her own right, basically. And with the Durings, this interpretation of what? reincarnation would mean in the dream line I really like it I don't understand I I mean I understand people not enjoying it because it's not exactly what is uh, they imagine or what is in Canon but I myself I like it very much I like to I like to see the same story but told from a different point of view or uh, in a different way because yeah. then it's it's almost like a different story it's like you know people do adaptations of shakespeare all the time they sure. always have to come up with something different
2: right yeah. they
0: don't do like word by word how they did in the elizabethan time so. sure what's
1: worse all right so this is where we ask a question and we play high school debate team where the person who asks the question or or gets asked the question, gets to pick between the two choices, and then the person Mm -hmm. who asks the question has to argue the opposite. Priscilla, do you want to ask the first question, or do you want me to?
0: Uh, I think it should start, yeah.
1: I should start? Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you this. What's worse? Between these two storylines, spying on your friend in order to gain your father's favor, that's a double F, permanently, as opposed to j- just in the moment as it seems to be here mm-hmm. or tricking a whole race of people into believing that a tree has that many leaves because there's no way
0: spy, i think spying on your friend
1: oh, is why worse so? why so
0: well like uh first of all your father is asking you to spy on your friend so um, uh, do, uh, you always want to do your, what your father asks you to do, or do you have some rebellious striking you? I don't know. Either way, a friend is a friend, and should you should trust your friends. If you cannot trust your friends, they should not be your friends to begin with. So, I think this is worse. I think this is worse because somebody uh, somebody's using like the. A relationship with you to uh, find information on someone else that you also care about. So yes. you are no matter what you're doing, you're going to like you're going to be wrong. If you say no to your father, you're going to be wrong. If you spy on your friend, you're going to be wrong.
1: And it's a bad situation to be in, and it certainly yeah. violates a lot of principles. However, you're completely wrong, and here's why: <laughs> when you have people who depend on you to be able to interpret things like leaves falling off trees Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and you have a tree that oh yes it's a great tree it's a white tree but manages to spread its leaves all over the city no matter how high above the city it is No wind's going to carry all of those leaves that far. I can only imagine that people are standing on top of rooftops and they're just they've got bags of white paper that's dressed like leaves and they're just throwing it around because there's no way that that tree has that many leaves and so this is obviously a sham it's either to fool muriel it's or it's to fool the people into believing that Muriel is right when she determines that they must help galadriel this is a sham this is some kind of great grand conspiracy ploy that has occurred and i don't know who employed it but i just see people i'm sure i am positive that there are people who are holding bags of paper that's shaped like leaves white paper and just tossing it out from different building tops from wherever because there's no way that that many leaves came off of that tree that's what i'm saying and if you're trying to fool a whole race of people let's talk about the viewers do we as viewers actually believe that that leaf could have that many trees so that's what i'm saying there that's why that oh, you worse.
0: mean that tree can have many leaves you said that leaf can have many trees
1: oh well i get excited and i and i work my thing there's no way that that leave can have that many trees that's exactly (laughs) what i meant uh yeah sure at any rate uh that's what we'll put on the poll we'll ask you okay to mm-hmm. uh verify for us i don't think i remembered to put them on the poll last week so we'll have to uh, oh
0: my god i know like, I, I, i'll um, have okay, to put so them last again. week
1: also we'll just have to put because, all them
0: because you forgot
1: uh i won you well it. it's natural by default do. maybe yeah. i put it up because i knew you would win anyway or i didn't yeah, put so. it up because i knew you would win anyway all right so do you have a question for me
0: So what's worse, having your son kicked out from school because he cannot stop listening to weird voices in his head or having your daughter going to dinner with the son of a would-be dictator? Dictator.
1: Oh, that's a good question. That's a hard one to choose. Um, I'm going to say that the daughter thing is worse simply because I believe that uh, girl dads often have uh, a difficulty uh seeing their daughters put in precarious positions and i believe that this could possibly be a precarious position uh mm-hmm. for ARN uh in regards to kemen and i don't know that kemen is actually intending any kind of harm coming to a- uh, in, but i can imagine uh chancellor Farizond, uh taking advantage of this in some way yeah. or another uh whether whether kemen is aware of it or not so i believe um that not only you know it's it's like oh she brought him home and now now we have to now we have to be nice to this guy too and his dad's a dictator um that that's got to be a tough position for a Lindell so i think that yeah. he's in he's in a worse position with his daughter than he is with his son
0: yeah okay i would argue that the whole thing with his son is more like distressing because the guy keeps listening to voices, like female voices. What does this mean? It means that he's like an addict, that he's having like uh, illusions, that he's having visions, that he's like, what does it mean? You don't know. But what you mm. know is that uh, it's spoiling all the trouble you went into raising this child from... The beginning, now, this child cannot stop, uh, like, you know, he's trying to figure out a way to build his future and he goes to this school, he's trying to become a sailor or whatever it is. And then these voices keep coming and he, in the end, all that effort went to nothing because of voices in his head. And there is no medicine you can take. You I don't think Numenor has invented like uh scala- psychologists to help this guy. Um it, there is nobody could you could talk to because like the political situation in Numenor is such that having voices in your head might be uh something connected to elves or to Valor, and they are all against this in this part of the island. So it's a dangerous. It's not yeah. only dangerous; it can it's can concerning, dangerous.
1: and yeah, it's uh, awful. Well, I will I will give you points for that, but we will put it on the poll so that people can decide. Let's move on to our second part of a recap. We've got one storyline left here: Southlands. Uh, so, Best place
0: on earth on yeah. earth.
1: and uh, future Mordor. Arandir gets to meet a celebrity it's Benjamin stark no wait yay
2: it's,
1: it's adar uh we finally meet adar after his name was spoken 17 billion times in the prior episode but he's a nice evil elf i mean come on he lovingly caresses dying orcs uh and before before he kills them for their failures they should, never should have gotten hurt that's why he kills them that wasn't out of mercy that was out of that was it
0: was mercy
1: it was, it was not mercy. mercy it was absolutely not mercy priscilla okay. he did it to prove to the other works it's like see when you let an elf hurt you like this i'm gonna finish the job um that's what he was trying to show uh mm-hmm. because that's why he's so intimidating uh even when he's talking about his childhood to edar and the places that he visited which uh, evidently he visited uh a um so So despite all of this uh and despite a a works appetite hadar does show a a friendly side he says hey Aaron dear i'm gonna let you go i'm gonna let you go back to the old watchtower all you have to do is give a message to the people who are there and that is of course is bronwyn and her refugee group speaking of which bronwyn (laughs) and her refugee group are having a food shortage problem yeah
0: people forgot to to bring their food with them
1: what they forgot to bring the food with them they were in such a hurry to leave they forgot the thing that they needed to survive uh good planning Bronwyn way to go um so or Waldrig or any of them actually so uh Theo does come up with a plan uh you know we'll just go into town we'll get to what we left there and I'll come back and Bronwyn does not want him risking himself at all uh, but, again, Theo is never shown to be much for following orders. He's
0: the so, worst. Eh. I hate him. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> he grabs his friend uh, Rowan, and uh, they go to, <laughs> they go into town. Um, they've got a wheelbarrow full of stuff already, but Theo wants to go into the tavern looking for food. Yeah, right. He probably just wants to get drunk. Uh, but uh, while he's in there uh, finding one single bag of food, uh, which wasn't worth the trip, an orc jumps him and uh he pulls out his uh blade stump his hilt basically and yeah. he sticks he sticks it into his arm and how he knew to do that i don't know but he sticks the back end of it into his arm oh, and the, makes last the...
0: Episode, he he realized you can you could do this trick
1: oh, okay well yeah at any rate he does this and the hilt the hilt uh becomes a completely restored sword and in, in a way <laughs> freaks the orc out all of a sudden the orc realizes oh this is what adar has been sending us to look for theo runs he ends up uh hiding in a well which Mm -hmm. is you know i'm thinking man that's not a very good place to hide i guess it was the only place he had uh but it nearly gets him discovered uh when the bucket comes back down and hits him in the head uh, which was a victorious moment for orcs and fans alike but then uh fortunately as uh the orc hears him scream uh he has the sense to be able to stick his head underwater and can hold his breath long enough uh for the orc to not see him so he stays there until nightfall he's cold and he's wet and he's stupid uh for sticking around all the way till nightfall because your best chance is to try and get into sunlight to get away from Uh these orcs. but nonetheless he waits until it's completely dark where all of the orcs can come out and find him uh and that's not good he tries to escape theo's friend returns with the wheelbarrow of food it takes that all takes him that long to get there because i don't know he's an idiot and he gets lost uh not sure why. Uh, yeah. he's a long.
0: teenager boy he probably saw something
1: yeah yeah, yeah. he
0: lost Possibly, track of so. time
1: he doesn't seem very he doesn't seem very uh enthusiastic about all of the dead animals or anything which and
0: he's not really healthy did you see he has like all these things in his chest maybe he's dying from like evil poisoning mm,
1: probably so maybe so no? uh, um... I think
0: there is something going on with this guy mm. other than he being completely terrible
1: yeah I don't know. well what's the one thing that happens when somebody Uh, comes out of nowhere with a bunch of food to a place where nobody has any well they all squabble over the food of course uh but bromwin doesn't care about any of that she wants to know where theo is yeah he's still in the well uh and starting to make his way to escape uh after you know at again after dark after more orcs come out and he makes uh makes his way uh very conveniently there's high grass there's walls there's all kinds of things he can hide behind um, nonetheless uh, he gets to a certain point until his luck runs out and an orc finds him then again very conveniently right as the orc is about to cut off his arm in order to get him to speak about where the blade is uh Arandir, uh, who has been let go by adar happens to show up at just the right time and relieves the orc of the head just like uh i guess uh this orc was gonna relieve theo of an arm mm-hmm. so uh you know erin saves the day dun, da, dun. they flee through the woods in slow motion because you know it's more dramatic that way and Aaron deer does some legolas things like catching arrows and putting him back on his bow and shooting him back at the orcs uh, as they're continuing to fend off them and run through the woods bronwyn finds them because she's come looking for theo Aaron Deere tells them to run while he continues to do legolas like heroics and then once again conveniently they emerge from the clearing but the sun has now come up and the sun that didn't seem to affect these orcs that much earlier today even though like i said they were they they did show the cloud shot to show that the orcs could be out in the open But the shots were just too darn bright uh, when when Theo was hiding in a well for me to believe that the sun wouldn't be affecting them. Uh, But now, obviously, the sun will affect them because it's very convenient for the story where Aaron Deer and uh, Boromir, who has or Boromir, Theo, who has a, a, a injured leg and Bronwyn can all get away. Uh, at their own pace they don't longer have to run they're free in the sun um the sun does his job it keeps them away and then uh ends up having to deliver this message that Adar gave him that we didn't get at the beginning of the episode but the message is very magnanimous i i mean adar will let everyone at the tower live for crying out loud but all they have to do is abandon their lands and swear fealty to him and to i'm supposing to probably sauron as well Mm -hmm. and theo is recovering and he finds that uh waldrick who not only was the barn owner that theo stole the the hilt from uh but he's been loyal to darkness uh, for a long time, uh, he yeah. brings up that he knows about what the hilt is, he knows what it does, he knows what it represents. he also knows what the meteor means, and that means that Sauron uh basically is returning and uh then we get a, a shot of an orc reporting to Adar uh, that the blade has been found, and that it is now in the tower, so they know where it 's at. I want to say this real quick: the first shots that we ever got of that tower. Uh, when Aaron Deere was actually stationed there I was did not get the same impression as I did this time around with people running (laughs) around it looked like uh it looked like to me like they were trying to make this set seem a lot like Helm's Deep in in terms Mm. of the way it was laid out uh the way the walls were and everything when we first saw it you just mainly paid attention to the tower sticking up yeah but here uh once you see the layout of the castle it reminds me much more of a helms deep kind of thing and it's very well positioned um Mm -hmm. but uh you know is this tower uh possibly one of the towers that they the you know later on in the story that uh the men and the elves use to look since we now know that the southlands is probably going to end up being mordor this isn't one of the towers that we already know from one of the trilogy stories is it something that overlooks uh i think this i
0: think i think it i think it's already mordor
1: yeah right
0: well i guess i think it's already mordor yeah because raui said she said like uh that there was like the other people from other villages
2: were coming there yeah.
0: Um, and they are like they are not exactly. They are very close to Mount Doom. Actually. Are they
1: very close to Mount Doom? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's
0: so it's it's, one a, of, it's it might be one of those towers that we see, as you say. But I have the impression that it's already. It's not like in on the in the border. It's already in order. Okay. That's the impression so I have.
1: It's it's in it's well there was okay so there was a tower or two that we did see in more yeah. proper like the one that photo yeah. was brought to
0: i think uh, it is i think it is this one i think it would be this one if i would have to have i would think it's this one
1: okay all right well that makes but sense and I'm i can't really, remember the name of it proper the proper i'm pretty, name pretty sure
0: it. it's in mortar i'm pretty sure it's in mortar already because like um other ones that lands for himself what I'm not sure if it's Ada is trying to establish himself as as a new dark lord because Sauron has not returned or if he's like in league with Sauron if he's like the, the Sauron's tenant mm, he's doing uh-huh. this everything to be uh, like in accordance to Sauron's wishes because like this guy this strange guy Valdragna, no? Valdregg yeah, which is also something that we see in the in the books. Like Morgoth had spies; he had people infiltrated in like different uh, places, and Sauron keeps with this tra- tradition too. So, and he hmm. he name checks Sauron; he's waiting for Sauron to return. Uh, but I I don't think Ada mentioned Sauron did he?
1: I Adar, Adar did not. Really mentioned Sauron, and nor was it President Arandir's so. message, yeah. uh, because he said pledge fealty to him. I
0: exactly. just was under the
1: impression that it was uh, that that also meant pledging fealty to to Sauron. Sauron. But,
0: yeah, we but don't
1: know. It may not be. You're correct. It could just be that uh, Adar is thinking. Well, I'm gonna, you know, there's a power vacuum here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna soak it up. Yeah,
0: uh, he mentioned that he's not uh, quite a god yet. Right. Sauron is a Maya. So okay. he he would be in this position of like uh, of being a creature, uh one of the Ainu that witnessed the uh, the beginning of time. Okay. So he would be considered a god, I think. And uh, Ada is an elf. Right. He's... He's a creature.
1: Right. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's something to ponder for sure. Uh, What else about this particular storyline do you want to talk about?
0: Well, I mean, like, you spoke a lot about the contrivances of the the coincidences, like the the plot armor, but I feel that this is like, I cannot even complain about this much because this is so prevalent in fantasy. Like, people that should not survive survive, like this sort of... um, very convenient way out. You no know, people that yeah. uh, were Tolkien was suddenly. a
1: terrible writer.
0: Who well, Tolkien? He had those
1: kind of coinc- coincidences in his stuff. So because uh,
0: it's like it's the stuff of fantasy. It's like
1: mm,
0: like uh, well, all fantasy
1: writers are terrible writers, and they don't adjust to reality in any way, shape, or form.
0: But fantasy is the opposite of reality, right? the rules are different so if you if you want to apply what you want to observe it's like uh the rules in that world and one thing that i learned Matt, is that there are people out there they're very lucky i'm not one of them but i'm i've witnessed a lot you know um People are running late, then a job interview is like postponed, uh, you know, so they are not late anymore or uh, they miss a bus, the bus was in an accident, so they don't break their leg or they don't die. So yeah. I, I know I know this kind of people, they exist and I'm not one of them and I, I'm really sad about it. I spent, like, I cannot tell you, I spent years in my life crying about not being one of those people. I didn't understand why. I was not chosen to be one of those people, but yeah. maybe Teo is one of those people, Matt. That's why I hate him so much, maybe.
1: <laughs> There's where the you resentment know? comes from, ladies and gentlemen.
0: Yeah, honestly, this so also spoils friendships. I hate people that are very lucky. I don't like them.
1: Yeah, well, I won the lottery last week. $2. Really?
0: <laughs> sorry
1: i probably spent oh. about 10 in prior drawings uh before i went to so i'm still in the hole yeah. uh at any rate uh that is, <laughs> is there anything else about this storyline are we ready to move on to what's worse uh
0: let's move on what's All worse right. and uh you can you can you have both no you i
1: wrote uh, both you, but if you have uh, a uh, question you of both. your own then we can ask that
0: no uh you can go
1: what's worse well i'm gonna ask this question what's worse being told to send a message of invitation that's a death sentence either way or being told about the place that you grew up in a very creepy way by a very creepy elf
0: i think being told about the place you grew up in a creepy way by a creepy elf uh I mean, elves are not supposed to be creepy. That's the first. So uh, it adds to your sense of uh, unease that there is a creepy elf talking to you, let alone talking about the place you were born, the place you grew up, like he knew you. What does this elf want with you? He wants to be closer to you. He wants to scare you. He wants you to just answer his questions about. He's just curious. What what it gets it, it gets really confusing very fast. And I don't like being confused. Therefore, I think it's the worst.
1: Okay. Well, I have to default to the other one saying being told to uh send a message of invitation that's really a death sentence either way because either you're serving a dark lord or 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 you're dead so that's doesn't seem like much of a possibility there but uh-huh. i want to approach this simply by attacking your position because i think that <laughs> i i i think that i can shoot holes in everything that you just said uh oh. here's a guy who is longingly talking about um, aaron deer's place where he grew up he's being very delicate with his memories he's sharing he's communicating he's not being creepy at all okay uh-huh. maybe creepy. but he is he's he's just trying to make a friend you know if, yeah, if you want sure. somebody to deliver a message of death for you you have to make that person your friend so that they will do it you can do so by letting them go of course uh and that's one thing that you can do you can do so by making sure that the warg is locked up as he did And so I don't think that there's anything wrong with trying to find a sense of commonality with your fellow elf in regards to a a, a place that that elf used to call home. So that's why uh, regardless, you know, you need to make sure that the talking of this story is better than the message because the message itself uh, has to be delivered. And the only way you're going to guarantee that it gets delivered is if you find some kind of commonality and, and gain the trust of Aaron uh-huh. Deer, uh so that he will, in fact, deliver the message because he could have let Erendir go and Erendir could have just, you know, not told the message at all. Uh, uh-huh. So I suppose uh, in that way that uh, the message uh, is worse simply because you have to do so many things better in order to get that message delivered. That logic okay. sucks, ladies and gentlemen, but was you can terrible, vote on the polls.
0: Matt, it was terrible. I'm sorry. I, yeah. I already predicted that I would, I would <laughs> win has this.
1: predicted that she will win. <laughs> I have predicted that she will win, too. Vote on all the polls, all four of the what's worst questions this week and the what's worst questions from last week. I'll put those up, too, because I forgot to. Um, So <laughs> you can defeat me, like, up to eight times this week. Please, no,
0: I, I think you should just let go. I won last week. That's all
1: just 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 chalk it up to you winning yeah i'm not that quite that unstubborn i have to at least put it up on the poll and somebody has okay. to prove it to me that you won it'll also see if that'll also prove uh that more people are listening to our episodes because they'll have to go back to the prior episode to re-listen to our wonderful arguments um,
0: <laughs> i think uh, i think my my arguments last episode were the worse possibly uh, arguments i already used. Yeah. I'd just like to so, add a thought
1: of, of Harfoot haters here. Harfoot haters. yeah. Uh, okay. Go
0: ahead.
1: I hate them. They didn't show up. What kind of no-shows are Harfoot haters?
0: So Harfoot. you hate when they are there and you hate when they don't show up. Well, you they know, can never be if, right if, with you. If,
1: if they're not there, I can't hate on them. But I can hate on them because they didn't show up i understand yes absolutely absolutely so i hate the harfoots not being there i did miss them how about you did you miss the harfoots or did you say no it was nice to get a break
0: um i mean i hate uh i i miss them but i didn't miss them if it makes sense like yeah yeah i would like to see their lovely faces and more, and to learn more about their terrible ways of the the community. But I, I I think the episode uh, was uh, well developed the way it was developed, and it, they wouldn't they wouldn't feel connected like thematically they they would they, it wouldn't make sense to put them there. So I'm happy that they are traveling. I'm sure that it's boring traveling. With yeah. the hard food, and that's why we don't we don't see i'm sure whatever whatever it is where they are going maybe next episode we are going to see them coming uh, closer to the yeah. destination
1: The one of the reasons that i'm interested in them is because i'm still interested so much in the stranger and yeah and, uh, that's one of the things that i missed about him
2: mm-hmm. but
1: something that i think we both can agree that we don't miss is theo's you know tendencies his nature um the inability to just say yes mother put his head down and walk away (laughs) he's Uh, terrible he is a a terrible terrible kid uh but are his tendencies truly dark do you think or is the blade uh has the blade now affected him to the point where no matter what she says he's just going to go the opposite direction because she seems to make a lot Mm -hmm. of sense he never does Mm
0: -hmm. I think the blade is affecting a little bit of his personality. Like he sounded a little bit more aggressive with his friend, his lovely friend. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that he wasn't before. And honestly, I have to say when they went to the bar and I thought they were, they were like teenage lovers, but Tale just wanted to play with a sword, so that got me confused uh, about what Tale really is in terms of like what kind of teenager is, and I decided that he's just the annoying type. He doesn't really have other interests other than that sword. It's all that he can think of.
2: Okay. And
0: now that he and now what what really lends this home to me is that. Now that he already uh, was told that this sword belongs, or it's some sort of connected to Sauron, mm-hmm. he knows what Sauron is. Uh, the guy Valdrak he makes sure to tell Theo exactly the stakes, no? and what this sword is and what it does. He still didn't give up, so yeah. there is like there is the sort of choice that is. Uh, know, connected through like the Tolkien's works. There's lots about friendship. It's a lot lot about friendship, the value of friendship, Mm -hmm. and also choices. And I think he was already made his choice. Of course, he's young. Of course, he doesn't know anything. But I mean, it's an evil sword, dude.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not. Yeah. And he's not going to give it up. Uh,
0: Of course not. Yeah. He's going to put everybody in danger there because the orcs are um are looking after that sword. Yeah. Exactly. So he will keep like his mother doesn't know why the orcs are being you know, he she just imagines that because um they want to take their land away, but no, it's now, because now, they see, have if the I'm
1: Bronwyn, if I'm this kid's mother and I want to if I want to believe that he's possibly you know, I I can see no evil because he's my boy, right? Yeah. Can she not argue instead that by making sure that he keeps the sword, he has already saved humanity because those orcs would have found it already? No. No? He's he's no. he's delayed the orcs from getting getting this blade. Uh we know what the orcs are going to do bad things if they get this blade and give it to a dark
0: it's not about the ring. The blade is not the ring. We don't know what the blade does and why they want, right? Well, if so, the
1: orcs want it, I have to assume it does bad things. That's all I'm saying. And so by Theo, no, Theo keeping maybe, it, he is keeping the orcs from doing evil things. That's all.
0: Maybe it's just because Sauron has like an emotional connection to the sword. <laughs> it was a gift. <laughs> it was a gift somebody gave him. This is the second him. sword
1: that morgoth gave me i love
0: yeah sword. yeah okay maybe that's it
1: okay well i mean uh is brahmo never gonna see the light then is she gonna say no. this kid's just no bad
0: i i i think she's going to die to defend this terrible kid
1: as she should, because he's saving humanity by holding onto that sword <laughs>
0: No, I, I mean, we already had telegraphed that her relationship with Aronji will go nowhere, Mm. and I think it it will go nowhere because she has this terrible son.
1: Oh, okay. All right, there you go.
0: I'm also like a little bit concerned because you know the series is supposed that there is a time compression of 200 years, 250 years. Obviously, Browning cannot live that long, but. If Theo becomes one of the Dark Lord uh, assistants, like one of the Ring Wraiths, no? oh, one right. of the, the yeah. Nazgul, yeah. then this means that Theo is going to stick around to this series, and I'm kind of hoping that he doesn't. So,
1: wow, you want to kill a kid? Really? You want you want <laughs> yes. a kid gone
0: for the, <laughs> for the good of the series? I think Theo is bringing them down
1: what kind of a podcast has this it, become we're killing
2: kids now
0: it, it, it's something that they are doing very well in the series you know they 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 are doing some things that I, I'm still not sure which I already said and I'm waiting for the pay payoffs but there are things that are already they are very successful like T is like one of those surly teenagers that give the teenagers a bad name you know so they're making this they're doing this
2: well, I think. Very
1: that—that's the most realistic part of the whole story.
0: Yeah, you,
1: there's always a surly son, a double S. uh we've been talking a lot about swords, but let's talk about another sword because last week, you know, we saw a, a lindil be handed this sword in Numenor, and I was comparing pommels and everything. Uh, oh. But I see in the notes here you've posed the question: Have we seen? narsil which is the sword that ends up uh being wielded by isildur that ends up separating sauron from the ring or or hurting sauron to the point where he reverts into a little eyeball at the top of a tower by the time we get him (laughs) in the lord of the rings so uh what why did you pose this question this time around
0: Oh, because you were uh, you were very interested last episode about the sword that Media gives to Elendio.
2: Mm-hmm. You were
0: wondering if it was Nazio, and we were talking about how they cannot exactly replicate what we saw in the trilogy
2: mm-hmm. uh
0: with Peter Jackson's movies for legal reasons, so they have to go. For an approximation, like they have to go uh take the the visuals of the movie as um a basis, but make something different. And you were right. saying, Oh, but like the heat is completely different. There is a big difference there, it's not right. even close. So now that we see one that actually looks more like it. So I thought about you immediately. I was like, Oh, there it which, is.
1: Wait a minute, which sort is this now that we Are saw? You?
0: The sword the sword that we saw last episode. Well uh, last episode Midian, but what
1: about this episode? What did we see this episode? Any
0: we else? saw in the tower uh, when Galadriel and Mirio are going to uh, see the oh, Palantir. Okay. They're like there there is a um a couple of uh things like uh, artifacts
2: from oh, okay. the first
0: age. Uh we uh, it could be that we saw like the helm um of the uh, like this dragon helm. Uh we could see apparently there is like a, a hammer too that is connected to Tulo. Okay. Which is another figure. And there was this sword that looked like Narzil. And Galadriel was very uh um there there is this shot with Galadriel and the sword on her back here on the on her oh, side.
2: Okay. All and it right.
0: looked more like Narzil.
1: It looked the more Momo. like the Narzil from the uh,
0: and you hear you didn't see it.
1: I didn't see it. I didn't see oh. it. I I apologize. I I've only so watched it. You go back and once. see it
0: and then you tell
1: me. Okay. So perhaps Okay, so now you're saying that narsil is now in the hands of Galadriel?
0: No, no. I said okay. that it was in display oh when she, seeing when she was when she was in
1: the tower. Okay. Yeah. Well, I if it is Narsil. That's in the tower. Then I certainly hope somebody takes it with them to uh Linden or wherever, because if Muriel's vision ever comes true with the tidal wave, it's gonna be at the bottom of the ocean.
0: Well, I I'm pretty sure uh, this is not going to happen. Yeah. I'm pretty well, sure will take I it. I
1: suppose if Isildur has it. Although Isildur, uh, you know
0: Elendio, his father should mm. have before. His
1: father should have it before. Okay. Yeah. So We'll see. We'll see what happens there. Are you ready for to get to some feedback that we've got here?
0: Mm, yeah,
1: why not? <laughs> okay. Oi,
2: can we get the feedback out of the monitors, please?
1: Uh, From the boss, Bubba, uh, writes his thoughts in on this episode. Love the episode. Eight double T's out of ten.
0: Double T's?
1: Yeah, Terrible Theo. Uh, So that's right along with you showing Adar for even just a couple of minutes doing evil things. He becomes a compelling villain. I hate Theo. Uh, Evidently, everybody does except me, who I realize is saving humanity. Uh, I kind of <laughs> love to hate Theo. Oh, you do like to hate kids. Kid hater. Bubba, you're a kid hater. Yet Theo surrounded by orcs is so much more compelling and tense and dangerous than the scenes of elves actually being killed by orcs in episode three. Ooh, interesting. I loved at... I laughed at some Elrond-Durin-Disa interactions. The political plays by Ferrison is intriguing. Uh, even... The flirting by kimin and ARN, which I wouldn't care about now, I think, oh man, these suckers are gonna get killed by Tidal Wave. Uh, okay, thanks, Bubba, appreciate it. Um, uh,
0: yeah, thank you, thank you, Bubba.
1: Now, I guess I'm a little more invested in the kimin and ARN relationship because I'm just seeing conspiracies everywhere. Um, but uh, to be honest, a-
0: I'm not invested,
1: yeah, uh, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm just I'm I'm looking for some reason to 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 say well why do why do we care about that and Bubba I'm sorry I don't think it's just about the fact that they could be um, soaked or swept away by a tidal wave but we'll see we'll see what goes on there any thoughts about Bubba's mm-hmm. comments?
0: Well, amazing as usual, Bubba. Thank you for commenting, and we we hope that uh, we are going to help you pay for your house so yeah. yeah yeah let the money let the money keep coming for
1: baba folks we that's need you free. to hit that like button down there if yeah. you're watching these on the on the double p media youtube hit that like button leave comments so that we can share them with our audience as well so that Bubba can ring in the dough as well uh and notice how well priscilla sucked <sighs> up to him too that's great keep us on this channel uh priscilla by sucking up to him by saying he's I mean, fantastic i mean
0: I, I, i'm uh i'm you know netflix is begging us to to come to their uh, like streaming service you know to the mm. platform so baba better keep us yeah we are exactly. in demand
1: in demand we are uh we did get some comments from youtube also uh rally beard uh and this was a, a a fun little way to phrase this uh like the old saying about the rings themselves um it began with the forging of the great films Threads were given by Tolkien, wisest and fairest of them all. The rights were then given to Jackson, a great miner and craftsman of the Mountain of Lore, and nine nine hours were gifted to the race of men who above else desired quality. But they were all of them deceived. For another show was made in the land of Amazon, in the mount, in the fires of Mount Prime. The Dark Lord Bezos forged a secret master flop. Ooh. And into this show, he poured his money, his greed, and his will to dominate all film. Ah, uh, one show to ruin them all. <laughs> I love that rally beard. That was fun—a fun way to put it. Obviously, you don't like the show. I asked Rally Beard what they thought. What they thought about it, and uh, Rally Beard responded by saying, "I'm sure it will get better. Maybe that's his master plan." Get the internet a buzz for the first few episodes, and then when the free month runs out, show the show quality gets better, and people will subscribe to Prime. <laughs> very good, Rally. Uh, well, evidently, Rally is, is not very good. Thi- uh, a high on the show right
0: now. Yeah, but the thing is, like, Prime is not. Uh, you know, it's not about the the series or like subscribers for the streaming service. Prime is actually. Amazon prime video is actually a way of people getting people into the Amazon prime subscription program for delivery. Mm -hmm.
2: It's
1: just
0: an extra thing. So
1: there you go. Uh, Anything else regarding this episode before we close it out?
0: Very good. Very, I like it very much. The most thing, the, the thing that you want most from the TV show is to have fun, to be engaged and to be in community with others and uh now that like the the series is this like it's already half of the first season so we are going we are seeing exactly where the plot is going now uh there is less things to be filled up like it's still a lot of it's still a lot of like uh world building to cover but it's not in any way, shape, or form, these huge uh, information dumps before, right? Uh, so I am enjoying. I know a lot of people are enjoying too, and it's okay that a lot of people are not enjoying too. Like there, are, you know, there are like thousands of shows for people to choose, right, out there. Right. So just find one series that you like and stick with it,
1: or find twenty that you don't like and try and cover them like I do. Thanks for listening to (laughs) Bustin' Blockbusters. This is Matt. Take care. Take care. Bye.
0: Part of Double P Media, media doublepmedia.com.